I hope you're excited. We're going to get into the Bible study right now, Genesis chapter 2. Open your Bibles. And I got to tell you, there's so much in this chapter that it, I really had to exercise a lot of discipline because I have like three, four, five hours of material. And so, uh, you know, I'll try to cut it down the best I can, but um, let's pray and we'll get started, okay? Lord, so exciting to come to your word. So exciting to open up the Bible, your revelation of yourself to us, Lord, and your plan of salvation. And God, just, just the story of your love for each one of us. And, and Lord, we come to you humbly. Lord, we come to you expectantly. Lord, would you speak to us? Lord, those of us that need a touch today, Lord, would you touch our hearts? Lord, those of us that need to hear a word from you today, Lord, would you speak to our hearts? And those of us that need encouragement, Lord, encourage us. Lord, those that need strengthening, Lord, would you strengthen us? So we just pray, God, bless this time. In your name we pray, amen. So Genesis chapter 2 uh, starts out, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Now, I don't know, maybe you're going to be getting used to this. I can't get past uh, verse 1 before I have to say, say something, okay? So uh, anyway, I find this verse kind of interesting. Um, because, you know, it's almost dismissive. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And what I mean by that is it's kind of a matter-of-fact kind of uh, opening to this chapter. It reminds me of Genesis 1, verse 16. You might remember last week, you know, it says where God created the entire universe, billions of galaxies filled with billions of stars. And, you know, as I, was, as I was thinking about this, actually, I thought about Psalm 147, verse 4. He counts the stars and he calls them by name. Billions and billions of stars. And he knows all of their names. It just blows me away. But he sums up the entire creation of the universe in five words. Verse uh, 16, right? He made the stars also. Like it was no big deal. Now, in Genesis 2... We have a, almost an entire chapter created to the, uh, do, uh, devoted to the creation of Adam. And why does God describe the creation, the sun, the moon, the stars? And why does he describe all the animal life, all the plant life that he created? In just a few verses. And then he devotes an entire chapter to the creation of Adam. Well, it doesn't make sense unless you see, unless you understand that in God's eyes, you're the most important thing. In God's eyes, you know, mankind is the pinnacle of his creation. You're the apple of his eye. I just love it. Jeremiah 31, uh, 3 says that he loves us with an everlasting love. He loves you. He loves you with an overwhelming love. He loves you with an everlasting love. And I, I, I plead with you, please, never forget this. He sent his son to redeem you, to suffer the shame of the cross. He suffered, he died, he was buried and resurrected so that he might have a relationship with you, so that we might enjoy fellowship with him. That's the most important thing for him. And I just want you tonight, 
before we even get going much further, I just want that news of an everlasting love, an overwhelming love that he has for you. I just want to ask you to let it sink into your heart like this is the first time you've ever heard it because it's true. Verse 2, And on the seventh day, God ended uh, ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his works, which he had done. Now, we don't want to misunderstand this. God didn't rest because he was tired. It wasn't like he was tuckered out or he was beat. You know, I mean, he's just like trashed. You know, that's not the way it was. It wasn't that he was short on strength, you know. It's not like that. God is almighty. He's omnipotent. He's incapable of getting tired. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. You know, he's not like me that, you know, he's just fighting to nine o'clock to try to get through the movie before he has to go to bed. That's not the way God is. In fact, Isaiah 40 verse eight says, have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. God rested from his work because it was finished, because it was complete, right? One of the hardest things for a painter to learn, actually, is when he's painting, is to know when the picture's complete, when it's finished. Um, God still had the ability to uh, create, but he ceased from his creative works because he saw that the creation was finished. It was complete. It was perfect. God ceased from his creative works because he saw that it was finished and he was pleased with it. Then God saw everything that he had made And indeed, it was very good, is what it said, the last verse of uh, chapter 1. And again, I want you to understand, God doesn't take days off, right? He doesn't take coffee breaks. He doesn't go on vacation. You don't have to worry that something bad's going to happen because God's not uh, paying attention to you. That's never going to be the case. God is always present. He's always watching because he's in love with you. Verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his works which God had created and made. Three times in verse 2 and verse 3, we read the seventh day. It's mentioned three times. Now the Sabbath isn't actually mentioned until Exodus chapter 16. It doesn't become a, a law for the Jewish people until Exodus chapter 20. And it's in Exodus chapter 31 we see that God gives the Sabbath to the nation of Israel as a covenant sign, a special covenant sign. Now, the word Sabbath, it means to cease from work or to rest. And here we see God sanctifies and sets apart the Sabbath. So there's a couple of things I want you to notice here with me, okay? First, it says God blessed the seventh day. There's no record that God blessed any of the other days. This is a special day. It's a day of rest, and it's to be a a day of rest, to be a blessing to mankind. We have to learn to take breaks and refresh. I told Rhea I wasn't going to do it. Maybe I don't know if I said I wasn't going to do it, throw you under the bus. But it's one thing that, yeah, she says, maybe I said, I don't know. But you know what? We have to learn to take a rest, Rhea. We can't just be going, 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 going all the time. We got to take a rest. It's good. A day of rest devoted to just spending time with the Lord, hanging out. You know, it's so healthy for us. 
spiritually and physically. Second thing I want to notice is God sanctified the seventh day because it was a gift to man for rest and replenishment. Now, I find it interesting that there's no mention of the evening and morning in regards to the seventh day. Here, that would suggest to us that God's Sabbath was a rest that was never intended to end. Colossians 2, 16 and 17 says, Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. The Sabbath, it was a shadow of the rest that was available through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I mean, I think crazy things. Um, if I saw Tina walking down the path right here and I see her shadow and I run up and I fall down on the ground and I start kissing her shadow, I mean, you're like, like what's going on, Gary? I mean, like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm just loving, I'm loving Tina. No, that's a shadow. It's nothing. It's, it's just, it's, it's empty. It's not the real thing. Christ is the real thing. And when you confess your sins and you turn to Jesus and place your faith in him, you receive salvation. And in the miracle of the moment, you're made a new creation. And then you're entering into uh, his rest. That's what Matthew 11, 28 through 30 says. Come unto me, all you who are uh, heavy laden, weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. There's no place in the Bible that the church is commanded to keep the Sabbath because Jesus has fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law and his righteousness is imputed to us as we place our uh, faith in him and yield our lives to him. Now, what's interesting to me, again, there's a lot of things interesting to me. I got three hours of material, guys. Listen, what's interesting to me is Adam was created on the sixth day. So what's the first thing Adam is to do with this first full day? To rest, to just hang out and commune with God. He was supposed to just, just rest, you know, that first uh, day. And then after that is when he started his work, right? And it's a picture of another finished work, right? The finished work of the cross. When you come to Christ, you must first enter into the rest through the cross of Calvary. Now, most, uh, yeah, oh, I just lost my place. When you come to Christ, you must first enter into the finished work of Calvary, right? And then you're to walk in the works which he's prepared for you beforehand. Now, there are a lot of people that say that, you know, the church needs to keep the Sabbath, you know? You need to be meeting on Saturday, not Sunday. Saturday's the day of worship. Well, most of the people that are saying that you know, they haven't entered into God's rest. They're still working to gain his favor. Most of those religious uh, systems are very works orientated. The church traditionally meant on Sunday for two reasons. One, they were celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He was risen on that first day of the week. And secondly, the day of Pentecost is when the Holy Spirit was, uh, you know, poured out on the church. Pentecost 50 is what penta means. Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. So you would count seven Sabbaths from the Passover plus a day 
that would be the first day of the week. The, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the first day of the week. So meeting on the first day of the week for the early church was a celebration of the risen Savior and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4 says, This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created and the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So I, I want to remind you that the Genesis story, the very thing that we're reading right now, this is history. This isn't a myth. This is history. And again, I think it takes more faith to actually believe, uh, you know, the theory of evolution that we just came about through just random chance occurrence. And here we are today. Everything that you see, it just happened, right? I think it takes more faith to believe that than to believe that an almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful, God spoke it into existence, you know? And, and I also want to notice this. It says, and notice it, in the day that the Lord created them. He created the heavens and the earth in a day, in a literal day, not in an age or millions of years. And it's also worth noting in this verse, this is really cool. Note, the name of God that's used here is Lord God, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, God. The capital, all caps, Lord, it means Jehovah. It's Yahweh. That's what the indication is, right? The Jewish people just uh, wrote the, the four letters, Y-H-W-H. We call it the Tetragamatron. Uh, they never said his name. So the all caps represents the name Yehovah or Jehovah, right? And then God is Elohim. God Almighty. So it's really cool here because this name of God is repeated 11 times in this chapter. And what it tells us is the sovereign creator God is also the covenant-making Jehovah God who keeps his promises to us. He never forsakes us. He never leaves us. He's always faithful to us and he always will be faithful even when we're faithless. This is, this is our God. I mean, it just makes me excited. Verse 5, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground, but a mist went up from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And we talked about this last week, that it hadn't um, rained on the earth yet. Uh, because of this water canopy, uh, there in the atmosphere, acting as kind of like a terrarium. It caused tropical conditions where, you know, plants just grew like crazy. Uh, there was no need for rain because the dew was falling, watering the earth. There was a heavy dew. Verse 7 says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I love this. It says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. The Hebrew word used there that's translated formed describes the work of an artist, right? Like a potter shaping a beautiful vessel out of clay. It speaks of intimacy. It's, it's a very personal creation. And I want you to notice that man was made of the dust of the ground. And I think that this is really important too because we we need to remember that we're, we're just dust. 
right? Basically, we're just dirt. And I tell you what, when you get to know me, you know, I can, I can be a real clod. It's true. And, uh, you know, we just need to remember that the church is filled with people. You know, they're just people uh, that are dirty. We're nothing special. We're just dust. We need to love each other. We need to love each other. We need to think the best of each other. We need to not be quick to be offended by something that somebody said. You know, I used to work with a guy who's not a Christian, and he would tell me, you know, you can't be offended unless you choose to be offended. And I thought, you know what? He's right. You know, you can't offend anybody unless they choose to be offended. We can overlook. We can love. And, you know, if, if we look to people... If we put people on pedestals, if, if we think of people maybe better than what they, they really are, you know what's going to happen is they're just going to fail us. They'll let us down. And I'm going to just tell you right now, just a couple of weeks into, into my, my part of the church, leading the church, if you're looking to me as somebody that has it all together, like I'm some spiritual giant, you place me on a pedestal like I have the answers, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to let you down. You're going to be disappointed because you know what? Like I said, I'm just, I'm just a dirt clod. I need help. I'm a mess. I'm going to let you down. And that's not an excuse. That's just reality. 1 Peter 4.8 says, And above all things, have fervent love one for another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Love not only will cover a multitude of sins, but it covers a lot of wrongs. It it covers a lot of failures, a lot of weaknesses. It covers a lot of disappointments. We need to love one another. We need to not give place to allow anger or bitterness to rise up in our hearts. When somebody fails us or somebody wrongs us, we need to remember, you know what, they're just dust. And you know, it's so great that science confirms what the Bible says, right? The same 17 basic elements of dirt is what God made us out of, right? We're basically dirt. And it's good for us to remember that the value is not me. The true value is the treasure that's hidden in our earthen vessels. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ in me. And we need to see Jesus in other people. We need to love other people as if we're loving Christ. We need to make allowances for other people. It says here too that God breathed into his nostril the breath of life and he became a living being. In chapter one, we saw that God said, let us make man in our own image. And now what we're doing, and it's a very Hebrew way of writing, is we're looking back. We had some, we had some of uh, the story of creation, and now the writer is taking us back to fill in details. And here it says, it literally says, where it says, God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It blows me away because what it literally says is God puffed. It's like he stooped down and just whoosh, into the nostrils of Adam. And you know, it's just so crazy. He breathed into him. And what it literally says 
He breathed into him the breath of lives. Man, it's such an intimate, such a personal, loving act of creation. And again, I think this picture of God's work in, is in all of our lives, right? Because it's not until we receive the, the Spirit of God that we're actually made alive. It's the Spirit of God that He breathes in us that um, regenerates us. Job said, the Spirit of God has made me and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Isn't that true? John, 1 John 5, 11, 12, he writes, and this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put man, uh, the man whom he had formed. God places Adam in the garden, and we're going to read later that the intent is for him to tend the garden. He's given the stewardship of the garden. And we see God entrust this uh, tax to Adam. They, he entrusts uh, to Adam his creation. And Adam was to use God's given, uh, God-given abilities to, um, to care for the garden, right? And I find this so interesting too, that God chose Adam to do this. I mean, he didn't have to, to do this uh, to give Adam this job. It's not like he was looking for free labor or anything. God spoke the universe into existence. He could have easily just said, hey, no weeds forever, which would have been nice, I tell you. Uh, every time I, I go to mow the lawn and pull weeds, I think of Adam in the fall. I tell you, oh, I don't like weeds. But be that as it may be, back to our, our study. You know, he gives this to Adam. And again, you could argue that God would have done a way better job than Adam did. 2 Corinthians 5.18, now Paul writes this. Now all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. God has entrusted to us as believers, as the church. He's entrusted the gospel to us in order that we would take it to the world, that we would share it with the world. He didn't have to. He could have given that job to angels, and believe me, uh, angels probably would have done a way better job than any one of us could have done. But he gave the job to us. And I'm telling you, boy, what a privilege it is to have the gospel. And I mean, really. You know, the Bible says there's not many among us wise, not many among us noble. Uh, we're not in a church where I actually can see the congregation. But from what I've seen, I think that's pretty accurate description, right? I know, hey, I'm not that wise. I'm certainly not that noble. But God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, I want to encourage you. When you go to the grocery store, why not tell the checker on the way out, hey, Jesus loves you. You know, you go to the hardware store. You're talking to the sales associate. Why not ask him, hey, is, is there something I can pray for you about? Is there something on your heart you need prayer? When you see anyone during the day, anyone, any place, why not just say, hey, do you know Jesus? You know, when, 
we're ambassadors to, uh, of Christ, and he's given us this job to do. And Paul said, you know, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God that gave the increase. You may be planting seeds in a garden uh, when you share Jesus Christ. You may be watering seeds that have already been planted. But one thing I know, you can't always be planting. There comes a time to harvest. And it's God that brings that increase. And there's nothing better than praying with somebody to receive Jesus Christ, to receive forgiveness of their sins, to ask them, to pray with them and ask Jesus to come into their life and make them a new creation. So what? This is what I think. Now, this is just a personal opinion of mine. So what? You tell 50 people about Jesus Christ and 50 people laugh at you and you feel awkward. Maybe you feel silly. I don't know. But then that 51st person that you share Christ with, he just starts to break down and starts weeping. He says, yeah, I need Christ. Would you pray with me? Ask him to come into my life and help me live for him. Turn my life around. Um, I tell you what, that makes those 50 people laughing at us worth it. Who cares about those 50 people anyway? I mean, that's just, that's just me. You know, my friend and I, we used to have a street witnessing um, ministry in our city. Every night for years and years, we would, not, not every night, every Saturday night for years and years and years, we would go out. And we would just walk downtown. We would ask God to open up doors and, and give us opportunities to share Christ. And you know, after a long time, um, I was a little bit discouraged. And I told my friend, you know, how come, why do you think that, you know, I'm never praying with anybody to receive Christ. I mean, why do you think that is? And my friend, he just looks at me and he says, do you ever ask anybody if they want to pray? <laughs> I mean, that's how smart I am, okay? I mean, <laughs> I told you, don't get your eyes on me. I'll let you down, right? Like, it was a revelation. Oh, what? You got to ask people to pray. And you know what? I never... I never thought about it. I just shared Christ. But I tell you what happened. As soon as I started asking people if they'd like to pray, well, I was praying with everybody. Do you want to pray? Do you want to receive Jesus Christ? And people began to respond. Now, no judgment, no pressure. But I want to ask you, when was the last time you led somebody to the Lord? You know, are you sharing Jesus Christ with other people? You know, when I see you, I got a hundred pictures of my wife. I got a thousand pictures of uh, my grandson. And you know what? I want to share every one of them with you. Am I some kind of weirdo because I want to share with you the people that are most important in my life? Of course not. It's just normal. It's natural. So why not share Jesus Christ with people, right? And I tell you what, we're not all called to be evangelists. I know that. And again, no pressure. We're not all called to be evangelists. But you know, we're all called to care about the condition of the lost because that's Jesus's heart. Now, this is, again, what I think. I've decided the world doesn't care about what I think about right and wrong. You know, they don't care what I think. Every time I turn on the, uh, the TV, I try to find a program to relax in front of, and I got to turn it off because there's an F word. You know, I'm bombarded with F words or, or there's a, a naked person on the screen. And I'm not even talking about the TVMA uh, programs. These are just a regular TV, PG, TV, 
I don't know what other ratings there are. But, um, you know, the world doesn't care what I think. They don't care about the values that I want to instill in my family. They just want to force their values down our throat. So I've come to the conclusion, guess what? I don't care if the world doesn't like me sharing Jesus Christ. And the reason why is because the, the world needs Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus is the only way to the Father. And he's the only name under heaven by which we're to be saved. By which we must be saved is what it says. And I, and I tell people, you know, Jesus is the rock. And you can fall on that rock, the scripture says, and be broken. Or that rock can fall on you and grind you to powder. Matthew 21, 44. So I ask you, and this is the most challenging question to me in my heart. You know what? If we don't share the gospel with the lost, who's going to do it? It's a ministry that's been entrusted to us. Verse 9. Out of the ground of uh, out of the ground, the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, boy, this just makes me think how loving is our God. He made every tree grow that is pleasant for, uh, for sight and for food. You know, he made trees to just be pleasant. I mean, boy. For the last three years, I've been living in the desert. The only tree I've seen is a Joshua tree. You know, they're, beauty, they're beautiful in their own right. But look at these trees. You know, uh, because we were missionaries so long, God's never allowed us to own a home. I'm so looking forward to God opening the door for us to buy a house here. I'm going to plant liquid amber trees. Have you ever seen them? They're so beautiful. Liquid amber. Turn all kinds of colors in the fall. Um, we have across the street from where we live right now a group of aspen trees. And, you know, things are getting green now. And those aspens are so beautiful. And, uh, you know, God just made these things for us to enjoy. How wonderful is that? And he, and he made the fruit of the trees for us to enjoy. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I've picked a mango off of a tree, a tree-ripened mango open it up, bit into it. But it's hard for me to buy a mango in the grocery store nowadays. It's, it's just too tough. And have you ever gotten a peach, a tree ripened peach right off the tree and just bit into that? I mean, oh God, you know, you're so good to us. All these things, you know, uh, orange trees, apple trees, Boy, plum trees. I used to, as a little kid, I used to climb over the fence over my um, neighbor's house. I think they were mean. I don't know because I, I would sneak in and I would steal as many plums as I could get. I had a neighbor, he had a loquat tree. I don't know if you know what a loquat tree is. I would bags, grocery bags full of loquats and sit down and eat them till I couldn't eat another one. I mean, he just did it for our enjoyment. I mean, just for our pleasure. What an amazing God we have. And it says the tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, these two trees were among all the other trees uh, that God created and put in the garden of Eden. And the tree of life was to grant or sustain eternal life, Genesis 3.22. 
And the tree of life is still available to us today, it says in Revelation 2, verse 7. And the tree of life is there in heaven, Revelation 22, 2. And so, you know, the tree of life is there, but also the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know, God has it there because a choice is necessary to validate a claim of love. Just think about it. Say you're the only guy on earth. You know, you and Mrs. Only Woman on earth. And you guys get married. She says, oh, I love you. And you guys get married. Oh, yeah. You know what? Maybe she loves you. Maybe she doesn't. I don't know. But now, let's say there's three guys on earth and there's one lady. And she comes to you and she says, I love you. Now it means something because she has a choice. And, you know, we'll talk more about um, these trees later. God gave Adam a choice to validate his claim of love. It's a validation of, of his obedience. He's not forced into it. We'll talk more about the trees of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil uh, more next week, Lord willing. We'll move on. Verse 10. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four riverheads. I wonder if, I wonder if uh, Adam just went out exploring. I wonder if he just saw those rivers and he just walked down one river and then the next one and he just explored all four of the rivers. Uh, I would. I don't know. I love this. You know, Rhea and I were looking for different locations to just record. Boy, just being outside is great. You guys are, you guys are maybe spoiled. You've had it so long. It doesn't mean maybe as much to you. Boy, this is amazing. God is so good. Uh, verse 11 says, the name of the first is Pishon. It's the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there's gold. And the gold of that land is good. Berdillium and the onyx stone are there. Now, this is funny to me. The gold of that land is good gold. You know what? I don't know about you, but I go up in the mountains here, and I bend down, and I find a nice gold nugget. I don't care what quality of gold it is. It's good gold, you know? I don't know. If you're out there today and you got some bad gold, you don't, you don't want any, you know, give me a call. Uh, I'll take the bad gold off your hands. Verse 13 says, And the name of the second river is the Gihon. Gihon. It's the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is uh, Hadekel. Uh, it's the one that goes towards the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now the Hadekel it's also known as the Tigris. And you've heard of uh, the Tigris, of course. You've heard of the Euphrates. You'll remember Revelation 9, the four demonic spirits that are held in prison uh, there in the river Euphrates, who during the tribulation, they're going to be released. And in one hour, they're going to kill a third of mankind. You also remember uh, Revelation 16, that the Euphrates River is going to be dried up, allowing the kings of the east, uh, most likely China, probably India, maybe Japan, to come and to gather together at Armageddon. But in my mind, there's no point in trying to locate the Garden of Eden based on this description. Uh, some people say it's in Iraq. Some people say it's in Mesopotamia. I don't even bother with these kind of... Uh, conversations because 2 Peter 3 verse 5 and 6, 2 Peter 3 5 and 6 says, for this they willingly forget or willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old 
and the earth standing out of water and in the water. It's talking about this time uh, in Genesis that we're, that we're reading about. By which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. And so, you know, when the flood occurred, there is such uh, geological upheaval. Changed the whole terrain. So will we ever see a garden eaten? I, I don't know. I doubt it. The earth as we know it today has no relationship to that perfect creation that God uh, uh, originally made. And, you know, it's interesting talking about that, the creation, the, the world, and how it's affected by sin. You know, Romans 8, 19 uh, through 22 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. The very earth itself is longing, it's groaning for the revelation of Jesus Christ at his return when he comes with his saints. Uh, that it might also experience redemption. You know, how wild is that? The earth is looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. God help us to be people that are looking for the return, the eminent return of our Savior. Verse 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, God gives Adam a job. He gives him a purpose here. And it's not good for a man to, to not have a job. It's not good for a man to not be working, to have a purpose in life. Working is a privilege. Having to work is not the curse. It's working and, and producing by the sweat of your brow, but jobs, a purpose in life, those are privileges for us. And you know, there are, there are jobs out there uh, that I've not enjoyed over the course of my uh, career. There are clinics that I've worked in that uh, I couldn't get out of there fast enough, you know? Um, but every one of them, I've looked to what God had for me in them. I thanked God for his provision for my family through them. And looking back, actually, I see how God was really blessing during that time. And, uh, you know, that's important to remember. And God says, now regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. Um, and we're going to read next week how the devil, he just comes and openly accuses God of wanting to keep from Eve something that's actually good. He, he says, you know what? If you, if you eat of that fruit, you know, whatever that thing was, if you eat of that, God knows you're going to be like him and uh, he doesn't want that for you. And, you know, as you know, it's a lie. It was a lie. The devil's a liar. God knew that the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil would be poison, in a sense, to Adam and Eve. He knew that when they ate it, it was going to kill them. God's commands in our lives are for our protection, okay? When our kids were little, I told our kids, hey, you guys can't play in the street. And when they would get out in the street, I would 
grab them, pull them back. I spanked their little bottom. Actually, where we lived, they took, um, they took children away from parents that spanked them. So we called it a privilege. I would give my kids a little privilege on the bottom, you know, so <laughs> nobody would take our kids, right? But, you know, it wasn't because I didn't want them to have fun because, oh, playing in the street is so fun when you're a little kid. No, it was because I love them. I was protecting them. I didn't want them to get hit by a car and be injured or, or maybe even worse, be killed, right? The commandments are, of God are good. Sin isn't bad because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's bad, right? Sin wounds, it destroys, it kills. It's not good. And God says to stay away from these things. And his command when he tells us to stay away from these, these harmful things is because he's this loving heavenly father. Think of all the commands of God, okay? You make your own list. I mean, don't murder, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't engage in sex before marriage, don't, don't uh, uh, commit adultery. Uh, I mean, you make your own list. Which of those commandments is bad? You know, sometimes maybe uh, the don't murder thing I've wanted to, to exercise. <laughs> Let's move on before I get in trouble. But all of these commands are for our protection, right? They're for our benefit from a loving Heavenly Father. Verse 18 says, And the Lord God said, It's not good uh, that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. Now, Back in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Don't forget that in this chapter, what we're doing is we're looking back. We had the story of creation, and now we're looking back, and we're getting more information. Eve was created after Adam was created, but before God saw everything that he had made and declared that in fact, indeed, it was it was very good. Now, the idea of, a, of the woman being created as a helper can be objectionable to some women. But listen, okay? In all honesty, you ladies, you wives out there, how many of you, when you saw your husband-to-be, didn't say, man, that guy needs some help. That guy's a mess. You know what? I mean, seriously, right? I mean, if it wasn't for our wives, we'd be running around. I mean, you know how we would be dressing? You know, we'd have like two different color socks. We'd be wearing like, you know, plaid Bermuda shorts, hard sole shoes, and a Hawaiian shirt. It would be terrible. It'd be, it would, yeah, you know what? If it weren't for you wives, just, just think about us men, how we'd be living, how we'd be dressing. I mean, I shudder to think about it. I mean, to me, boy, I'm so thankful for my wife. You know, I'm so thankful for my wife. And I'll be the first to confess, I need help. You know, but the, the biblical idea here, let's get our serious face on. The biblical idea here is a helper that's comparable to him. The Amplified Bible uh, says it this way, a, helpful, a helper suitable adapted, complimenting him. The Septuagint says it this way, a helper correspondent to him. 
And don't you know that there's nothing demeaning here? God's not doing anything or thinking anything in any way that's demeaning to women here. Women are equals in God's eyes. They're comparable to, to men. Tina compliments me. She's a correspondent to me. I mean, hand in glove kind of thing. And what it means is she balances me. She compliments me. I say, let's go. And she says, well, maybe we might want to think about this. Or she says, you know what? I'm afraid. And I say, no, it's okay. I got you. It's going to be okay. You know, we, we work together as a compliment. It's a beautiful union. And, but I imagine that when God said, I mean, in my mind, I think of uh, maybe Opie or Tom Sawyer, right? When God said, it's not good for man, he should be alone, that Adam said, I'm not alone, God. I got you. We can go fishing. We can go hiking. You don't want to do that stuff? We'll just hang out and talk. You know what? It's all good. So God has to give Adam a visual. Verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a, a helper comparable to him. So God, he creates these animals. He brings Mr. and Mrs. Elephant before Adam. And Adam says, oh, yeah, it's an elephant. And then he brings Mr. and Mrs. Hippo uh, along before Adam. And yeah, that, that's a hippo. He brings Mr. and Mrs. Cow uh, before Adam and Adam names them Cow. You know, I heard a story. I, I, this is me off the cuff, right? I heard a story that, you know, Adam, like, you know, you got um, hippopotamus, hippopotamus, five syllables, right? That was probably early on in the naming process. When he got to the dog, he was like all tired. He's like, dog, cat, mouse. You know, I don't know, he's worn out, you know. Uh, Mark Twain, uh, he, would, he would say that when, uh, when Eve saw the elephant, he asked, she asked Adam, why did you name him an elephant? And Adam said, well, he just looked like an elephant to me. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> Mark Twain. But anyway, you know what? I imagine what God's doing here is he's giving this visual picture to Adam like, hey, there's two of them. Mr. and Mrs., do you get it? You know, did you find that cow attractive at all, Adam? Well, no, not particularly. You know, uh, verse 21, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from him, he made into a woman, and he brought her to, to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And that's actually what woman means. It means out of man. Someone said, listen carefully. Someone said, <laughs> when Adam saw Eve, he says to God, why did you make her so pretty? 
And God said, so you would, uh, you know, spend time with her. Why did you make her so soft? So you would spend time holding her. Why did you make her so curvy? So you would love her. And then Adam said, but why did you make her so dumb? So she would love you, Adam. Yeah. Now, again, some say that, not me. I'm just letting you know what's out there. Uh, but the woman in no way was a lesser uh, creature. The same God that made Adam made Eve and created her in his image. Genesis 1.27, if you just flip back there and a couple verses we'll look at. Genesis 1.27, so God created him, or man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Both Adam and Eve were um, given dominion over uh, creation. Look at verse 28, chapter 1, verse 28 of Genesis. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 11.7. You can note it. Don't turn there. Paul wrote that woman was the glory of man. I think in God's economy, if man is the head, then the woman is the crown that honors the head. I, I, I find that so beautiful. Everything about my life is better because Tina's in it. Adam was made from uh, the dust. Eve was made from his side. And um, again, it's another beautiful New Testament picture. And you know where I'm going with this. Adam received his bride when he was put into a death-like, this deep sleep. His side was opened up and um, God took a piece of, piece of Adam and formed his bride, formed Eve. And later on, looking down in history, right, when Jesus, the second Adam, when he hung on the cross and he died, the Roman soldier pierced his side and the birthing fluids of uh, blood and water came forth. And from his side, the church was born. It's such a beautiful picture. Um, Matthew Henry, I'm sure you've heard of Matthew Henry. He's a, a noted Bible commentator from the 1600s. You've heard this quote. He wrote it so beautiful. Men, we should have this on a plaque. We should, this should be on the forefront of our mind all the time. He said, in regards to uh, a woman... She was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor out of his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. And boy, I tell you, that's such a beautiful uh, quote, and it's so true. Uh, maybe ladies, ladies, you can knit a sweater for your husband with that across the chest. I don't know. Anyway. Verse 24, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Now, this is God speaking here. This isn't Adam or this is Moses. This is a revelation of God to Moses as he writes it down. And 
And uh, the idea of becoming one flesh, it's, it's like a, uh, welding two pieces of metal together. Like they're inseparable. If you separate it, it's going to cause damage. And I, and I think the best thing that, that um, we can do for our kids, okay, we're going to get into one flesh a little bit more, but uh, uh, the best thing we can do for our kids when they grow and they get married and they have problems and they run to us as parents is we encourage them to work it out. You know, not to, not to interject ourselves into that situation. Um, if we're invited for, to give wise counsel, that's a different thing. But, you know, uh, Susie comes and wants to tell you about what Johnny did. You know, it's just like, hey, guys, go work it out. You know, you guys are, you need to leave the authority of mom and dad. Now you guys are a new entity and you guys need to work that out. And it says that we're to leave uh, mother and father, father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and that they shall become one flesh. I like the way the old King James uh, translates it here. It says, right, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. You know, it means that you're to hang on to her for dear life. I mean, you're to like hang on to your husband, like your life depends upon it, to hold tight, to cling. I mean, in my mind, I have this picture of some man in a hurricane and he's, he's being blown by, you know, cat four winds and he's hanging on to a telephone pole and you know, he, the wind's blowing so hard, he's horizontal, right? And he's just hanging on for dear life. That's the way we're to hang on to our wives. That's the way we're to hang on to our husbands. You know, we're to hang on to them. We're to cherish them. We're to love them. And we're to just, um, you know, try to make their lives better. That's what true love is. Verse 25, and they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now, I don't think that this means that they were naked, no clothes, they were running around nude. I don't think so. Um, I think they were clothed in righteousness. I think that they were, were um, clothed in light, right? Just like the Lord. And what happens, I think, is going on here is that they were open. They were transparent. I think what it means when they were naked, uh, it means that there was nothing hidden, uh, and there's no secrets. And that's the way marriage should be. There should be no secrets. You know, Tina, she knows everything about me. And, and <laughs> miracle of miracles, she loves me anyway. You know, there are things that she knows and loves me that you'll never know. Marriage is the most intimate relationship we're going to uh, engage on in this earthly uh, plane. And so we're not to have any secrets. We're to be open and transparent. We're to be naked, as it were, in a sense. Um, just as all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we give an account. That's Jesus, right? And I love what it talks about, uh, what is it, Ecclesiastes, a threefold cord is not easily broken. It's Tina, myself, and the Lord, just real, just being real with each other. I think that this is, is uh, I think this about marriage also, and I want to say it so everybody understands this. And I want you to think about this. Marriage is the one thing that existed before the fall that we have in the world today. Marriage is the one thing that it's made it after the fall of man. It's precursor, and it's in our world today. And it's God that 
ordained marriage. God created marriage. Um, Pre-curse, pre-fall, like I said, he's the one that knows how it's supposed to work. And we would be wise to follow his instruction. Uh, marriage is intended to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime. God's ways are the best ways for us as individuals. God's ways are the best ways for us as a couple. God's ways are the best way for us as a family. God's ways are the best way for us as a church, for us as light to this dark and dying world. You know, I love the Bible. There's so much instruction about it uh, that, that is just there for us to glean. And, and you know, I love what the Bible says that God rewards those that diligently seek, search for Him, right? You know, God's going to bless as we give our lives to Him, as we surrender to Him, and as, he, as, he, as we make Him our chief joy. Let's pray. Father God, I just, again, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the blessings in Your Word. Lord, I thank you for the instruction that's there to protect us, to guide us, and to uh, make our lives more fruitful. And Lord, I, I am so thankful, all kidding aside, I'm so thankful for my wife. Lord, I needed help. And God, you brought her into my life, not only just to, to be my wife, but Lord, it's through Tina that, that uh, I heard the message of salvation. It's through Tina that, that I heard that that you were willing to love me and forgive me of my sins in spite of me. I'm so thankful that she was bold enough to share Christ with me. But I just pray too, Lord, would you do that work in each one of us? Would you give us a boldness? Would you just stir our hearts just to, to speak out your name to another person? Hey, Jesus loves you. Hey, you can be forgiven of your sins if you just respond to the call of Jesus in your heart. Lord, give us that boldness as a church, Lord. And Lord, I just want to pray for anybody that maybe is listening in right now that doesn't know you. Lord, I just pray that you would be speaking to their heart now of your willingness to accept them and to receive them and to forgive them and make them a new creation and give them the power to live for you, Lord. I just pray for them right now, Lord, if if there's anybody, you see their heart. You know their heart. You know their situation. And I thank you, Lord, that you're willing and ready to forgive. Lord, bless Calvary Chapel, Truckee. Lord, bless the church. Bless the, the people within the church, my brothers and sisters, as they go about their business every day, going to work, going to the market, going on hikes, whatever the case may be. Lord, would you bless them. Have your good hand upon them. Fill them with your spirit and overwhelm them with your presence, Lord. I ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen. God bless you guys. Hey, if you have prayer needs, please get a hold of us at the church. We love to lift you up in prayer. We love to stand with you in prayer. If you have uh, questions, call anytime. Just give us a call. Um, yeah, God bless you. Love you. Praying for you.